0: Here's your host, Sakar Kavle.
1: Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. I am your host, Sakar Kavle. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with John Brixon from Old Capital. Welcome to the show, John. I appreciate you taking time today.
2: Hi, Sakar. Thanks for having me on
1: awesome great to be in touch with you again uh, john uh, is with old capital lending which is a mortgage broker out in dallas texas a extremely dynamic and vibrant and uh, you know large volume uh, they process for multifamily loans and refinances uh, and is a very household name in the multifamily industry uh, john uh, throughout his career has placed well over a hundred million dollars worth of loans. Uh, John brings in a lot of multifamily experience. Uh, John has a, Uh, decades of experience uh, in the financing world. Uh, He has been working in private capital and also the equity space uh, in Dallas. Uh, Originally from Kansas City, John has earned a BA in economics uh, as well. So it is a stellar background John brings to the table. And when it comes to multifamily lending, and what's shaping up uh every day i think john is a name to reckon with so uh, thank you john for taking time out of your busy schedule today uh, help us get started real quick with a brief background of yours john and we can kind of delve into the today's topics
2: sure sakar thank you for the uh introduction and just for a little bit more detail on my background so I joined old capital in February, 2018. So I've been with old capital for just over two years. And, um, you know, I primarily, uh, arrange debt and equity financing for, for the most part, uh, value add multifamily properties. Um, Mm. we're very active in Texas markets and especially Dallas Fort Worth, but, um, I work across the country. So the last 12 months, I've closed loans in um, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, New Mexico, uh, Kansas City, uh, Texas, and uh, some other markets outside of that. So work across the country, but but largely have a focus on um, on value add multifamily properties. And um, we work with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Um, I'm doing a, a HUD loan, a HUD loan currently. So that's been that's been interesting. Um, Banks, credit unions, CNBS lenders, um, all different types of lenders.
1: Incredible, incredible. Thank you, John. I think there is no uh, end of the spectrum that you don't touch, uh, you know, through, uh, through your desk and through all capital. That's for sure, you know. Uh, so now let's let's kind of, John, you know, go from you know s- s- small basics to you know some of the current things that are shaping up right now. And as we definitely know through the COVID crisis, uh, things have significantly changed uh, the financial landscape as to you know what lenders are requiring. Uh, suddenly goes through the roof, And it, again, pretty much feels like 2008, 2009, back again. Uh, it's just uh, very interesting that every time there's an adversity or some crunch in the markets, uh, financing just goes through the all kinds of changes and we are back at it again as well. So, uh, with that, um, John, give, help us get started with uh, you know, how different is multifamily financing in uh, sort of through the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac and, you know, typically why, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, sponsors are attracted towards, uh, you know, sort of the agency debt, as we call it, and not so much so, uh, you know, like the single family uh, world as such, you know, how different it is.
2: Sure. Um Well, I would say, uh, you know, one of the benefits of of investing in multifamily is that you have uh, some of the best financing available in the market, uh, given that you have Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac um, in the market. So Fannie and Freddie, you know, they don't lend on office, industrial, retail, self-storage, et cetera, but they do lend on on multifamily properties. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do do lend on single family as well, although the, the lending criteria is a little bit different single-family rentals versus sure. uh, commercial multifamily. Yeah. Um, but that's certainly been a benefit for multifamily and that, that continues uh, through this uh, downturn that, that we're going through right now. This is, uh, you know, it's June 29th, 2020, as we're talking today. And, um, you know, obviously we're, we've officially entered into a recession. Um, but the good news is for multifamily owners and investors is that Fannie and Freddie uh, continue to lend in the market. They continue to be active, albeit they are a little bit more conservative and they are requiring um, debt service reserves at closing um, for pretty much all loans they do, unless for loans that are you know at a much lower leverage point. Um, so that's that's one of the key benefits um, with multifamily is just Fannie and Freddie being in the space. Um, and then in addition, um, what's what also is different, just comparing um, today with earlier this year or maybe late uh, prior to COVID breaking out um, is, is the bridge lending. Um, mm-hmm. So late in the cycle, a lot of the debt funds um, and a lot of the non-bank lenders had um, gotten especially aggressive on on underwriting and closing loans for value-add multifamily properties. So. You know, it used to be that um, getting you know eighty percent loan to cost, uh, you know, with a rate at you know thirty day LIBOR plus two point eight five percent. So, you know, all in rate of four and a half to five percent uh, was somewhat of a, a commodity. Uh, there's mm-hmm. just a lot of different non recourse bridge lenders out there, you know, kind of in that space and. Quoting that type of, um, those types of loans. And and now that's, that's changed. Um, Mm. that's gone away, you know, in a pretty major way. So,
1: Mm.
2: you know, bridge lenders now it's, um, you know, the kind of the, the, and it's changing week by week, it seems like, and it it had certainly improved over the last few weeks. Um, you know, I think in, in April and May, it was uh, very difficult to find any bridge lenders really during that period, but they've gotten more active. And, you know, right now that kind of the the best terms that I'm seeing on the the bridge side are, you know, 75% loan to cost and 30 day LIBOR plus, you know, high fours to low fives. So that puts your all in rate at, you know, 6% or or maybe even higher. Um, So interest rates are higher. Their LTV is lower. And um, you know, for, for the bridge lenders, what they're really trying to solve for is, you know, they're also trying to, Achieve a high single-digit return mm-hmm. on their mm-hmm. money, sure. and the way the way they've done that in the past is they might lend at eighty percent LTC and you know a five percent rate. Well, they could actually turn around and they could they could actually finance uh, their position. So they might lend ten million dollars, um, but they go and borrow seven million dollars from their warehouse lender, or they borrow it from the the CLO market. And then the three million dollar difference is their equity, and by being able to leverage their position, they could get to the high single digit cash on cash. And you know, so what's happened is the warehouse lenders are not financing bridge lenders, and then the CLO markets have really are pretty much non-existent right now. So non-recourse bridge lenders, you know, at this point really um, are not active. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what, what we're going to see more and more of uh, as we get deeper into this cycle is um, more dependency on bank bank lenders um, because banks still are active and sure. mm-hmm. every bank is different. Some banks um, are a lot more aggressive on lending on multifamily properties than others. And mm-hmm. some banks are really healthy and, and some banks have a, a good amount of loans in their portfolio that are having issues. And so um, I think we're going to see a lot more banks, uh, being more active in the market and, you know, banks will, will typically be 65 to 75%. Uh, they might have a year or two of interest only. Mm-hmm. Um, usually they're looking for a 20 year amortization or a 25 year amortization, whereas Fannie or Freddie might want 30 sure. years. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and then the key difference is uh, recourse. So, you know, they, they require a personal guarantee. Um, so I expect to see a lot more uh,
1: activity on the bank side mm-hmm. um, going going forward. Got it, thank you. Thank you for that uh, detailed clarification, John. Now, speaking of the, you know, sort of the stable assets and Fannie Mae, you know, giving the loans, uh, you know, whether it's Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac for that matter. And then, you know, when the property is not stable for let's say last 90 days or what have you, you know, like sponsors typically go towards the bridge uh, lending side. Can you maybe share some thoughts as to why, you know, like sort of the what the thought process Processes, John, uh, into this. On why people would want to finance with a bridge loan? Sure. like a bridge loan versus perhaps you know how that stability uh, and the occupancy of the uh, property plays into a big role into going towards Fannie Mae Fre- Freddie Mac financing.
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if if people are buying a property and you know if they think there's a significant amount of upside in the cash flows, you know, maybe the in-place rents are are well below market rents, or maybe the um, expenses are, are higher than they should be, or, or maybe the occupancy is, is is lower than it should be. You know, it could be a combination of of all of the above. But mm-hmm. if there's significant upside in the cash flows, it may make sense to finance it an acquisition with a bridge loan,
1: mm-hmm.
2: because um, what that allows you to do is you know buy the property. Stabilize it, improve the cash flows, and then once the cash flows have increased and you've increased the value, you can then go and do a, a cash out refinance uh, mm-hmm. with with little or no prepayment penalty, um, or you could sell the property. Um, whereas if you do a if you finance an acquisition with a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan, um, you know with with larger balance, so you know say five million dollar and above, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans. You can you can do a supplemental loan, um, mm-hmm. but it's a lot more difficult to do a cash out refi because the prepay on those loans are typically yield maintenance, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you might have a step down prepayment penalty. But usually, it's a higher prepayment penalty on a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan than it is for a bridge loan. So, you know, I'd say for investors who are buying a property that has significant upside and they they want to they think they can stabilize it in two or three years. Um, you know, it may make a lot of sense to, to finance with a bridge loan or with a bank loan.
1: Got it. Now, related question there, John, is that uh, typically, you know, a uh, lot of sponsors uh, are very much attracted also to the interest-only nature of uh, these agency loans. Uh, can you maybe give us some, uh, you know, sort of guidance as to why the uh, interest-only sort of feature is uh, quite prevalent in these type of loans? Like, what sort of is the thought process behind it?
2: Yeah, um, and, you know, bridge loans are typically interest-only as well. Um, Mm -hmm. But Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, I mean, they'll, a lot of times, you know, for a full-leverage loan, so, you know, 75 to 80% LTV, they'll offer anywhere from three to five years of interest only. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's just say it's, it's kind of the the highest you can go. Let's say it's 80% LTC, you know, 12 uh, year loan, five years of interest only with a 30 year amortization thereafter. And, you know, so why, why would Fannie offer that much interest only? And, you know, obviously more interest only is, is a risk for the lender. Sure. Um, and the reason why it's you know if if Fannie and Freddie, if these loans were not performing and if you know these loans with lots of interest only were were going into default. They wouldn't keep making these loans um, sure. <laughs> and you know Fannie and freddie they 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 track data pretty closely and mm-hmm. you know they know which types of loan structures haven't performed in the past um, which types of situations have had issues in the past what markets have had issues and they identify those and they're pretty sensitive on on you know repeating their their past mistakes and you know i think on the interest only most of these loans have ended up performing because they might have three years of interest only or five years of interest only. But then after that period, they've got, you know, five to seven years of 30 of year amortization. So they do get some principal pay down. Um, there's been a, you know, there's been a good amount of rent growth um, in multifamily. So that's helped increase cash flows during, during hold periods. And, you know, usually at maturity, Um, when they, when they go to, you know, the owner's loan matures or, and it's time to either sell or refi the property, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, you know, their loan to value is, you know, less than 70%. And at that level, you can typically get some kind of lender to take you out at a 70% LTV, you know, to, to do a refi or you can, or you can sell the property. And, you know, the other thing too is, um, Fannie and Freddie, that you know, they don't really just blindly offer three to five years of interest only um, mm-hmm. on all of their loans. They look at, they underwrite what's called the exit test, and mm-hmm. so they'll look at you know what's the what's the projected loan balance in year ten or year twelve, mm-hmm. and what's our loan to value you know assuming we stress the NOI. Assuming we increase interest rates, you know, a hundred basis points. And so they're looking at, at that as well. And if, you know, if some of these loans, if, if they don't pass the exit test it you know, they might, they might only offer one year or two years of interest only,
1: mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. even no years of interest only. So I see. mm mm-hmm. Got it. Thank you. Now, John, um, Fannie Mae, as you indicated, tracks a lot of data of submarkets and things like that. And that kind of plays into, uh, you know, for how much of leverage you can take, whether, you know, you can go 70, 75, or perhaps 65 and things like that. Can you maybe share some tidbits about, uh, you know, what, uh, what sort of data, Fannie Mae tracks for, uh, you know, doing all the submarket analysis uh, of various, uh, you know, regions throughout the U.S.
2: Sure. Um, so I would say, you know, Fannie Mae has certain markets that they consider uh, pre-review markets, mm-hmm. and you know, in those markets, basically uh, a typical acquisition. You can finance, you know, in in a in a what I'll just call a um, a non pre review market, so just a a standard market. Mm -hmm. You can get up to eighty percent LTV uh, Mm -hmm. for an acquisition. In pre review markets, um, the highest you can go to is seventy five percent. And actually, going above sixty five percent LTV means that uh, you have to get a waiver from Fannie to go above sixty five percent. And getting a waiver, what that means really is just it's just an additional approval. It's a, it's a credit exception for, for Fannie Mae, you know, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how they determine if a market is, is pre-review is, you know, it's, they actually don't give any um, guidance on, on why a specific market may be preview and why a market is mm-hmm. not pre-review. Like for mm-hmm. instance, um, Houston, Oklahoma city, Tulsa, um, I think the entire state of Indiana The entire state of Ohio, except for the Columbus market, for instance, those are all pre-review markets. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, they why why are those pre-review? Well, they don't actually give guidance. You know, it could be because. They already have a large amount of exposure uh, Mm -hmm. in their loan portfolio in those states. Mm -hmm. It could be that they've had issues uh, in performance uh, Mm -hmm. on past loans in those states. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be because there's just like an industry concentration. You know, it's like in Oklahoma City, uh, part of the the, uh, concern there is that there's just a large concentration of oil and gas Mm -hmm. uh, jobs. And so Mm -hmm. they have concerns about that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, same thing with Northern Indiana. It's uh, you know Northern Indiana is largely uh, the auto industry, mm-hmm. and you know I know that during the last downturn, there were some properties that had some some real issues um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when there was a downturn in the auto industry. So uh, it's really it's really things of that nature. Um, and, and more recently, what they've really been tracking is uh, forbearance and. You know where are they seeing forbearance requests, and and what types of borrowers are, re- are requesting forbearance? And you know, I think what they've found is, you know, for one, there hasn't been a, a huge amount of, of forbearance requests, but a lot of the forbearance requests that have come in, you know, most of them have been on smaller balance uh, loans, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's simply because, you know, if, if uh, for fifty units and below, um, you know, you're much more impacted it only takes a handful of tenants to stop paying rent sure. or vacating mm-hmm. to have an impact on the cash flows. Whereas with larger properties, you have a little bit more diversity uh, in the rent roll.
1: Right, right, right. And that typically equates like the uh, pre-review markets typically would equate to you know, any higher risk of sorts, right, whether that's their own concentration or some industry concentration or perhaps the economy of that sub market is known to be, uh, you know, sort of not that much resilient. Is that kind of the general sort of thesis behind it? I think that's that's part of it
2: um you know i don't want to say it's it's purely just based on the economic strength of the local market mm-hmm. um so i think some of it sometimes too it just it just depends on past performance of the market you know the houston market is is to me is um i mean obviously looking at it now it's like well of course houston's preview because you know the oil and gas concentration but i mean really um, it is a pretty diverse economy it is one of the fastest growing markets in the country mm-hmm. um, so you know why is it pre-review and you know they've never really given guidance on why the Houston market is preview because mm-hmm. it is a strong economic market
0: mm-hmm. there
2: is a lot of growth I mean yes there's a lot of energy concentration but I think it's just a combination of factors um, where you know losses in the past you know maybe there's concerns with um, you know, the climate in Houston with uh, there's a good amount of flooding that occurs
1: in that market. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just a number of different, Active. Sure, sure, sure. And, and it's interesting that, I mean, you know, as sponsors looking at different deals and whatnot, it's, it's very important to understand what are these preview markets and what sort of the lending guidelines are available. Uh, is there anywhere, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, data available around this as to, you know, what's a preview market was not? Is there any current uh, like stat sheet or anything Fannie Mae provides about this? Um, I believe there is some data on uh, the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac
2: website. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they do have some information on forbearance, but they don't have individual. They don't have data on individual loans. So mm-hmm. they do release. I think it's a monthly report. Um, Freddie Mac, I know at least releases a monthly report on on forbearance and you know what areas of the country are seeing forbearance and how many loans in their portfolio have forbearance. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't provide know, property by property breakdown.
1: Got it. Now, John, when, uh, you know, when sponsors are starting out and coming to you for, uh, you know, uh, for requests, right? What are some of the key terms that they should be looking at in terms of, you know, the net worth, the capital uh, needed and post-closing liquidity and things like that? Can you maybe give us a sense of what the scenario looks like right now? Sure. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people have
2: been, who are interested in multifamily have been taking this time to, uh, you know, really kind of get their ducks in a row and make sure that they're talking to lenders and talking to, you know, people like me who range financing on, on multifamily properties um, about, you know, what do they need to qualify for a loan and can they qualify for a loan? And so I'd say qualifying, there's a few different um important factors you know f- for one um fannie mae and freddie mac they require that the uh, borrowers that are signing on the loan that the, the key principles signed on the loan have a combined net worth equal to a hundred percent of the loan amount and mm-hmm. then combined uh liquidity equal to 10 percent of the loan amount so yeah. For instance if you're if you're getting a four million dollar loan they want you and your partners to have combined net worth equal to four million dollars and then combined liquidity equal to four hundred thousand dollars i see yeah and then the next key factor is experience so fannie and freddie will typically want to see that at least one of the key principles that sign on the loan has experience um, as a managing member on a multifamily property, you know, it has mm-hmm. ownership experience. Um, so, you know, investing passively uh, as a limited partner in a multifamily syndication, you know, that wouldn't qualify as experience uh, working for like a third party management company. Um, wouldn't qualify as experience. They want, you know, they want one of the key principles to actually have experience as an owner, as a managing member in the entity that owns a, a multifamily property. Um, and it used to be, you know, um, probably a year ago or so, it used to be that you could, you know, you could get Freddie's small balance uh, financing if you didn't have the experience. Mm-hmm. Really if you just had the net worth and liquidity requirements. And then if you hired a professional third party management company, you know, more often than not, you get approval uh, to finance with Freddie Mac and that's changed um, somewhat. They're now a little bit more um, uh, restrictive on that experience requirement. Um, you know, I think they're usually requiring someone that, that has um, some experience
1: got it got it thank you now uh, john let's talk about the devil of today which is you know in the COVID world we have had significant issues where lenders are requiring a lot more reserves and it seems that those guidelines just keep on changing on a weekly basis uh, give us a sense of where we stand today uh, you know, first off, like for example, what is the nature or what's the sort of the thought process behind uh you know placing this mandate of lender reserves and how they work, uh, you know, what sort of is uh, the sort of the low end uh, good about it?
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean I would say, you know, with the lender reserves, so Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are requiring that um, you know for full leverage loans, so loans that are you know really above sixty five percent LTV, you know up to eighty percent LTV, they're requiring that um, at closing that the borrower reserve twelve months of principal and interest with the lender at close. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So so they um, you know and then and then with Fannie Mae. You know, for loans that are below $6 million, so for smaller balance Fannie Mae loans, they're actually requiring uh, 18 months of principal and interest. Um, you know, now more recently, they have relaxed uh, some of those restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they first rolled these out, uh, Fannie Mae was requiring 18 months of principal and interest plus 12 months of CapEx reserves. Wow. So mm-hmm. CapEx reserves being, you know, $300 per unit per year. Uh, they're requiring 12 months of uh, real estate taxes and then 12 months, uh, a year's worth of uh, insurance premiums reserved with the lender as well, which, you know, uh, well, that's mm-hmm. pretty steep uh, reserve requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've, they've relaxed that a little bit. Now they're really just requiring just principal and interest. They're not requiring the CapEx reserves on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one benefit. And then the other thing too is, um, you know, getting the reserves uh, back if you're the borrower. So, you know say you close on a loan and um you know twelve months of debt service is two hundred thousand dollars or three hundred thousand dollars. the question for the borrower is like, okay, how do I get this three hundred thousand dollars back and um you know it used to be when Fannie first rolled this out, um, you really couldn't get that back until you know I believe it was six months after loan closing, you had to have another six months of debt service coverage equal to or greater than uh, the going in debt service coverage requirement. So if your going in requirement was at least a 1.25 times uh, Mm -hmm. debt service cover, then they wanted six months of operating performance plus another six months. Um, And now they've dialed that time frame back. I think now it's um, really six months after COVID-19 restrictions have been lifted. You're eligible to receive um, those release those debt service reserve requirements. And then, with Freddie Mac on the Freddie Mac small balance loans, um, you know, as long as your net rental income is equal to or greater than the net rental income at acquisition, mm-hmm. and as long as COVID nineteen restrictions have been lifted uh, locally, ninety days after that period,
0: mm-hmm. so three
2: months after that period, uh, those reserves can be released
1: uh, back to you i see so it it's all meant to protect the uh, agency loans from uh, you know i guess uh, being delinquent or perhaps going in the threshold of like you know let's say borrow not performing and things like that so that lender has reserves to you know perhaps act or do something of that it's that kind of what the thought process is behind some of this yeah, it's
2: just—it's um, really just to make sure that the the borrower and the lender are well protected during this period of, of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Their thought process is: we went from, you know, uh, being at full full employment, you know, with three point five percent employment at the end of February to being, you know, now we're fifteen percent unemployment, you know, close to it, and a lot of people think that the accurate number might actually be 20% unemployment. And mm-hmm. so obviously um, on a lot of these properties, I think the thinking is that once the government stimulus does burn off and, you know, if we do go back to work, um, you know, and, and the restrictions are lifted, there's going to be a lot of um, uh, renters that, that struggle to pay their rent. And so I think what they're looking at is they just want to make sure that the borrower has enough reserves on hand to ride out any kind of downturn in collections or drop in net rental income, and so sure, sure.
1: Mm-hmm. you know
2: if the property does have cash flow shortfalls, uh, you as the borrower are able to draw on that reserve to continue to make your your loan payments.
1: Sure, sure. Now, what is kind of a good advice you can give, John? Uh, sort of, especially now, uh, given you know what's happening in the financing world right now, like what can you suggest, uh, sort of sponsors and borrowers to Uh, sort of some of the key things that they should look at, like when they can come to you, how they should engage you or any other additional information uh, uh, you can provide as far as how things are changing uh, in this pandemic now. Yeah,
2: I mean, I would say, you know, for one, if you currently own multifamily property and if you um, have a bank loan or a bridge loan on your property or if you just have um, any kind of loan that's prepayable, I would strongly consider uh, doing a cash out refinance and mm-hmm. refine your existing loan. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason I say that it's important to do that now is, um, you know, lately, uh, it's, you know, June of 2020, um, rent collections have been pretty steady and have been pretty solid. And, you know, who knows if that will continue over the next six to 12 months. And so I'd say while your property's cash flowing and performing, I think now is the time to uh, look look at refine and building up your own personal liquidity and your own personal cash reserves because I mm-hmm. think anyone that owns a multifamily property, um, you know, you can ride out any kind of downturn as long as you um, have enough cash on hand yourself and sure. as long as you have enough uh, runaway on your loan. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to run into a situation where your loan matures in a year or in two years and the market, you know, maybe even, Worse position than it is now. You know, I think Mm -hmm. people fail to remember that, you know, 2008 downturn, you know, Lehman Brothers failed in September Mm -hmm. of 2008. And September of 2010, we were still very much in a a soft market. Absolutely. Two years later. Absolutely. We could be talking here in uh, June of 2022, and it might still be, you know, a pretty challenging market. So I would say if your property is performing, you know, don't wait, don't get too greedy, Uh, take your chips off the table now and and refi it. You know, the other point too, is that uh, refis are really dependent on the appraised value. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're going to be limited to 75% LTV on an Mm -hmm. appraisal. And when an appraiser goes to value a property, they have to be as objective as possible. So Mm -hmm. they use facts and they use data in the market. And we're still so early in the cycle that right now the only data that appraisers can use is is, is data from pre-COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. they can adjust numbers to to you know to based on on COVID. But you know, as we get deeper into the cycle, there's going to be more sales comps. At a lower purchase price, there'll be more uh, properties that sell, potentially at higher cap rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be properties that have lower in-place rents. And so appraisers use a different set of data you know, a year from now than they do right now. And so uh, that's another reason is that you're more likely to be able to get a higher value and therefore higher proceeds or lower interest rate um, if you move forward with um Refine now. So I'd say for for any owners that are listening, you know, right now, if if you have um, a property that can qualify for a refi, you know, I would absolutely be refined, Building up your cash reserves, getting as much runway as you can on your existing loan. Um, now, for new owners and people that are interested in getting more active in multifamily, I think the best thing you can be doing now is is building your team. Um, maybe reaching out to myself or any other uh multifamily lender mm-hmm. and finding out, you know, what you personally can qualify for. So, sure. you know, who what what is the combined net worth and liquidity for you and your your uh partners? Mm-hmm. Uh what's the experience between you and your partners?
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: where where might there be some gaps in, you know, your experience or your resume? Um, what kind of properties are you looking to, to purchase? And mm-hmm. you know, based on the amount of uh, net worth and liquidity that you have on hand, uh, how large of a property can you acquire? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd say you know, now is a great time to have those conversations really narrow down your acquisition criteria uh, based on you know, if you want to just buy a property with a partner or on your own or with a few partners or if you want to syndicate know, whatever it may be, um, narrow down your acquisition criteria and then, you know, start to underwrite properties. Um, you know, see what the um, whisper price is from listing brokers and get some guidance on, on what price they expect. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after a property sells, I mean if you know, if you offer on it, you don't win it, you know, follow up with the listing broker and find out, you know, hey, where did that property sell? You know, what was the what was the actual purchase price on it? You know, get get to know the market stay active in the market and you know i think eventually you know things things might turn around and there might be a time when when it makes sense to start buying properties but you know it it could take a year it could take 3 or 4 years you know there's there's no way there's no way to really know i think sure sure 2008 you know things didn't really open up until you know 2012 or 13 and hopefully it's sooner and the rebound is quicker this time, but, you know, it, it could take time to play out.
1: Good, good, great point, and I think you you definitely added so much value there, John, and I, you also kind of touched upon uh, something that I was also going to ask, is that definitely going through the 2008, uh 2008 crisis, I clearly remember, uh, like, 2009, 10 things, I mean, credit wise, things were extremely seized up. It started to open up and I could see that 11, 12, we were starting to ease up and, you know, foreclosures in general were starting to, you know, uh, wane off and things like that. But I, I clearly remember that way through probably 11, 12, it was still a uh, sort of a market that was showing, like if you go to MLS, for example, there were just so many foreclosures, so many short sales and things like that at the time. What is your take on this? Because, and the reason I'm kind of bring this up again also, John, is that I have a personal feeling that it was, as we all know, was a financial crisis of sorts. But now with the COVID pandemic that we are in, uh, I, I think, Hell has broken loose from all kinds of places. I mean, you have a health crisis, you have a Main Street crisis, uh, you know, workers, businesses are shut down, workers have been forlored, laid off, or, uh, you know, all of the hours have been reduced and things like that. So my point is that the wound is so deep, Uh, we're talking record unemployment as well. So do you expect, John, that... Um, you know, sort of the rebound or the pain that's going to last in this market is going to be much severe than 08. Uh, and how does that play with respect to multifamily real estate?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's 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 hard to imagine a scenario where there's not a significant amount of distress or a significant amount of uh, non-performing loans, um, with, with unemployment where it is, you know, with unemployment above 15%. Um, you know, now that being said, um, there, there has been, you know, $10 trillion of stimulus, you know, flooded into the market. There is a lot of cash in the system. Um, there's a lot of people who are on the sidelines and, and waiting for opportunities to come up. And so, Will there be declines in in collections, and will there be sponsors that get caught with um, you know too much leverage and falling collections and a maturing loan that you know have to sell their property at a discount or give it back to lender? I think there will be you know certainly, but you know are there going to be as many deep discounts? I don't know if there will be just because there's so many people who are wanting to, to invest in multifamily you know from uh, newer investors who have been in single family and they want to transition into multifamily, all the way up to large institutional investors who, you know, maybe historically they invested in office or retail or um, hotels. And now they say, you know, maybe we want to increase our allocation to multifamily because sure. it was mm-hmm. so much more steady um, during the, you know, during the COVID 19 downturn. So, um i think there will be some opportunities you know if, if are there going to be uh significant discounts like there were during 2008 um i'm not sure I'm not sure if there will be mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. interesting interesting thank you for that uh, uh john now what are some of the common mistakes you see like several syndicators make uh, a- as it relates to financing whether they're business plan aligns with what sort of financing they're trying to place or perhaps they're buying, uh, you know, too distress of a properties and things like that. What have you seen in your experience uh, from sort of your angle of financing that you see on a daily basis?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I'd say one, one mistake I, I see pretty often is people just looking at, uh, the interest rate and the proceeds, and you know the loan amount and not really putting much thought into other aspects of the loan you know mm-hmm. so for instance um people who buy you know a 3 million dollar property with an 80% ltv uh loan with a 4% interest rate and a yield maintenance prepayment penalty um well mm-hmm. you know it's great that you have 80% ltv and um you know yes with yield maintenance, your interest rate is four percent. But with step down, your interest rate might be four point two percent, and that all looks good. Uh, the challenge becomes, you know, twenty four months later or two three years later, when you decide, oh, this has been great. Uh, I want to I want to buy something bigger now. I, I want to sell this property and go buy a six million dollar property or a ten million dollar property. Well, you're, you're kind of in a tough spot because you have a yield maintenance prepayment penalty and um, you know, it's it's much it's expensive to pay those off, and so you're not able to refi. And then the buyer, uh, they might not want to assume the existing loan because mm-hmm. that three million dollar loan you have, um, it might be only sixty five percent of value uh, mm-hmm. now because you've gone and increased the the value of the property by increasing the cash flow. So. Um, I'd say you just, you want to holistically look at the loan and mash it with your business plan and mm-hmm. understand, you know, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's not the answer to everything. It's, it's not a perfect program for every single situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, largely because of the prepayment penalty, that's the drawback is the, 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 um, it's, it's, they're more expensive to, to prepay.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so there's, there's benefits of, um, and situations that make more sense for for agency loans. There's situations that make more sense for for bank loans or bridge loans. Mm-hmm. Um so I think people need to think about it holistically and and you know getting the right debt for the business plan.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, John. You have added such a ton of value. One last question, uh, John. Hard loans. Um, you know, how do they work? What sort of properties uh, they have to be, uh, you know, sort of applied to uh, give us, give us a description of how, how all of that works within HUD umbrella. Sure. So I'm actually doing a HUD loan right now. It's a, a cash out
2: refi and it's actually, it's for a property in uh, South Dakota um, and it's a, uh, it's a property that uh, it's located in downtown Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, it was built in 2013 and you know the nice thing so hud has different programs they've got 221d which those are construction loans Mm -hmm. so that's for new development Mm -hmm. um and then they've got uh the 223f and Mm -hmm. f is for existing loans Mm -hmm. or existing properties and primarily for um refinancing so a couple of things with hud you know for one um, you really can't finance an acquisition with a HUD loan.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, actually, let me back up. The 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 main benefit with HUD, and I get asked about HUD pretty often because people hear about HUD. And the benefit is, number one, interest rates are, are very, very low. You know, oftentimes, you know, about 100 basis points lower than well, Fannie Mae mm-hmm. and Freddie Mac. So for instance, this HUD loan that we're doing, um, the interest rate's 2.7%. Huh. And it's... And it's fixed for uh, 35 years, 35-year so mm-hmm. term, 35-year uh, amortization and a 2.7% two, 2. interest rate. And then our, our loan amount is 80% uh, of appraised value. So, so that's pretty attractive. Um, now, the negatives with HUD is, you know, for one, you can't really finance an acquisition with a HUD loan because the 223F, that takes you know, typically at least six months to close. Mm-hmm. um and obviously it's you know you just really can't get a six month contract you know most sellers just want to allow that you usually have a you know a 60 day contract with 130 day extension option maybe um and so you can't really finance an acquisition with a, a HUD loan I mean you could do a bridge to HUD um that that's one thing that's a drawback mm-hmm. you know the closing timeline is longer you know it's six months for the 223f you know for a 221d it's like a 12 month. Uh, closing process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, the underwriting process is you know typically uh, pretty pretty involved. There's just a lot more diligence and paperwork required from HUD, mm-hmm. than there is from uh, some of the agency lenders.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then you know, for instance, they they require that your um, financials are that the property financials are are audited um, mm-hmm. by a CPA um and then you know post closing they require an annual audit uh on the property mm-hmm. um so that's a little bit different and then you know there's just some other restrictive measures on hud you know like for instance um you can you can only pay distributions uh you know twice per year on, under a hud loan you can't pay quarterly or monthly distributions to your investors um and then i guess you know one of the last things to keep in mind with hud loans or or what's a good fit for hud you know i'd say Properties where the loan amount is, is five million dollars or higher, um, mm-hmm. generally are, are a better fit. You know, I think if you can do a larger loan with HUD, that that's better, um, just because it is a longer um, process to underwrite close. Um, the other thing too is, you know, you ideally you want to have a property that's that's you know somewhat new construction. You know, ideally nineteen nineties construction or later. Mm-hmm. And I say that because um, you know HUD when they go and look at the capex reserves for the property. Mm -hmm. They're basically looking at the capex needs at that property for the next 35 years. Wow. Um, Mm -hmm. So if it's a 40-year-old property and you're looking at capex needs for the next 35 years, um, they'll be pretty significant. So HUD's going to look at, okay, what are the projected capex needs and then how much do you need to reserve per unit per year Mm -hmm. um, for this HUD loan? And so you know, a lot of times it's you know three hundred to four hundred dollars per unit, but if it's for an older property, you know, it, it could be a lot higher. So, yeah. mm-hmm. I recommend you know newer properties and refis and um, you know a little bit larger
1: in size are a good fit um, for HUD. I think Great. Great insights there, John. Thank you so much. Uh, please share with the listeners, uh, you know, how they can uh, get in touch with you and learn more about your company and what your focus is right
2: now. Sure. You can find uh, my contact information on our website. It's uh, oldcapitallending.com or you can send me an email. My email is brixon J-B-R-I-C-K-S-O-N at oldcapitallending.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you, John. I appreciate your insight as always. And, uh, you know, uh, folks like seasoned folks like you who come on and uh, share your experience and, you know, what's happening uh, on a daily basis is uh, wonderful to hear for all our listeners. So thank you for coming on. It's been great.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. Thank you for having me. And I hope we can do
1: this again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, John. (laughs)
0: Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.